Well, thank you for making the extra effort to make this work out for you an hour earlier today. It's an hour earlier in two ways, right? It's Daylight Savings Day, and it's also we're starting earlier in the afternoon, so you can all go home and crash. The challenge for me tonight to keep you awake during Sunday night church is not small, right? Because I know how big of a power nap this can be. But we'll try to keep it exciting. Tonight we're going to decide whether or not the election was stolen or not. So now that we know we're all afraid to death of this argument, we can... uh, No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about that. But uh, we're just going to try to understand some things from the scriptures about discerning the truth. And so the reason for this particular study, um, the reasons that I have... Um, for wanting to teach this or go through this with you is I need your help on some things for sure, is one of them is the significance of conspiracy theories. I don't think, from what I understand from the experts I've heard in different podcasts, there aren't more conspiracy theories than there have ever been, and there aren't necessarily more people believing in them than there ever were. It's just that they're really significant ones right now. And so there's a number of reasons why it might be significant, But um, that is one of the reasons we need to talk about it. They're significant in our culture and in our thinking and and really have been the cause of or the source of a lot of division within the body of Christ. Different perspectives on various things that someone would call a conspiracy theory. Let me just define my term here. Conspiracy theory is, is a theory, an idea that explains events in the world that is based upon some sort of a conspiracy going on behind the scenes, that something else is making it not what it appears to be, and or the reports that you otherwise would hear are not necessarily accurate. So that's what a a conspiracy theory would be. An example might be that the earth is actually flat and that the uh, governments have gotten together and the schools have conspired together to persuade us that it's a globe, that it's round, but it's really flat. And so the, the, the conspiracy theory is that for some reason, uh, the officials, the hierarchy, the elite don't want us to know that the world is not flat. They want us to think the world is round when it really isn't. It's flat. And um, that sounds almost funny in a way, except that there was like millionaire, right? The basketball player for a while who actually aspired, adhered to some sort of subset of this idea that the earth is really flat. It's not round at all. Uh, proof being there's no pictures of it from outer space, yada, yada. All right, so, that, so the significance of it. The, the second reason is the intensity of these theories. They're, they're really significant. If, if the theory is correct, the implications are huge. If the theory is not correct, the implications of it not being correct are huge, right? These are intense areas of differences within the body of Christ and within our culture as a whole. And so if people have a big, big difference on these, the intensity of the the variables at stake are really high, right? You understand that they're really high. Flat Earth, maybe not so much. It's not going to impact us day to day. But some of these things have already impacted us day to day. And people have different perspectives on them. So I wanted to at least acknowledge that that's the case. And then the third reason is, is there anything that we can teach our children about discerning the truth in this context? 
If it's the world that's this way, and you and I feel strongly about different perspectives on these, are we hopeless in teaching our children how to discern which way? Hey, Cameron, are you awake? All right, just checking. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna call anybody out if I see you sleep, and it's Sunday night nap time. All right. Katie is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed now. <laughs> okay. I don't mind you holding the phone. I'll pretend you're looking at the Bible. Right. Is there anything we can teach our children about discerning the truth in this context? Right? Is, is, is it hopeless or is there a way to know? I don't, I, that's my question. And that's the reason I want help in this study. And then fourthly and finally, is there anything we can teach ourselves? What is it about me that I need to discover in my own heart with regard to how strongly I um, hold to a certain idea or how strongly I oppose a certain idea. What's going on in my heart that makes me so um, invested in whether the earth is flat or not, for example? So those are the reasons for this study. And uh, I wanted to start with Ephesians 4, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So, so Jesus is given gifts to the church to equip his people for works of service. Why the works of service? Well, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, in short, why does God, why did Jesus give gifts to his church? To make it so we would work together, so we would grow and be built up together so that we would become mature in Christ. And that means then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You recognize what I'm trying to say there? You know, so many times I've read this only in terms of theological error, right? And for sure that's there. We're going to, if we're mature in Christ, we're not going to be blown. Oh, here it is. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, blown back and forth, back and forth. Unstable, right? By every wind of teaching, you know, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not a man. You know, any kinds of heresy, I understand that. We're supposed to not be blown back and forth chasing those things. But notice it says, and also by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So the world in which we live is full of crafty, scheming people, a.k.a. people who invent or perpetuate or spread conspiracy things. Maybe they're deceitful, maybe they're not. But that's the whole point is, are we going to be blown back and forth every time a new one comes down the pike? Oh, now I know what it is. And then we have another conspiracy to chase. And so we're trying to be, I think the Bible's telling us to be mature and avoid such things. Instead, instead of being blown back and forth, right, we're going to speak the truth in love. We want to, well, in all things, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're supposed to, whatever we're doing, we're supposed to become more and more the body of Christ, more and more connected, 
rather than more and more divided, more and more fighting each other. So the very fact that these ideas and perspectives have come into the church and separated brother from brother and sister from sister within our our churches is exactly the opposite of what Jesus wants to be happening. We're supposed to be growing up into Jesus, speaking the truth and love, and growing up into him and being united together. So for my goals for this study, my, so that's the scripture. So my goals, I already gave you the reasons, but my goals is not, okay? So if you ever catch me slipping on this one, blow the whistle and time out, I get a penalty, right? Ten, two minutes in the penalty box. Our goal is not to persuade one another that X is true and Y is not, all right? So my point is this. I'm not here to persuade you that the earth is not flat. That's not the objective. We're not going to find one of these conspiracy theories and fight about it. We're not going to try to decide who's right and wrong. I don't want to get into that. So if I do slip into it, blow the whistle and rescue me, okay? So we're not here to actually discuss and come to a conclusion on any one particular thing. We're trying to step back a little bit and confess our own sinful tendencies. What is it in my heart that makes me so strongly committed to a particular idea? Why do I have to be right? Or why do I have to think that other people are wrong? Maybe those are different. Maybe those are the same thing. And I also want to search for principles. I have to be a father. I have to be a leader. What, what, what can I, where in the Bible can I go to get some kind of a principle structure to help us decide here comes another one down the pike. Now, how do we evaluate whether this is legitimate or not? Are we going to evaluate it based on what somebody else says? Are we going to evaluate it based on what the majority says? Are we going to evaluate it based on what the experts say? Are we going to evaluate it on what our party says? Are we going to evaluate it on what the other party says? There's so many wrong ways to decide. And so I want to find something in the Bible that will help me decide. Right? And then my goal is that we would be, therefore, become mature in Christ, right? We need to understand our weakness. We need to search for the principles that guide us. And we need to become more and more like Jesus. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, right? That's our goal. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we'll no longer be infants. I don't want to be immature. I want to grow up. I don't want to be blown back and forth by the craftiness of people. Okay? And then finally, to build one another up in love. It should be true that everyone who hears our discussion tonight and in the nights to come would be struck by how loving we are to one another, right? How much the Lord Jesus is getting elevated and that we're loving each other. So I have a microphone that we will be using later because I want your voices to get on the recording too. So in another uh, 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, we'll be able to, I'll be having some questions I'm going to be asking and I'll put some notes on the whiteboard for you. But So you be prepared to participate, but that's what we're kind of trying to do. Okay? All right. Again, those scriptures building itself up in love. All right. I want to first say that I did some research on some secular sources or some uh, non-Bible sources, some Christians too. Uh, the uh, one, I think I quote a few things from the um, Nine Marks website. But why do we pursue rumors in the first place? I just want to step back and say, what is it about us that does it? 
And I, I, one of the things I hear and I experience is a rumor, a conspiracy theory, a idea like that, it can comfort us by providing an explanation that we can understand. One of the reasons, I'm a, uh, let me start that sentence over. I'm a computer programmer. And in my computer programming work, when I put in A, B, and C, I get certain things out. It's kind of controllable. And if something doesn't work right, there's a common phrase, there's always a reason. And I can go find it and, I, oh, there it is. I misspelled the word or I did something. I had a logic error. There's always a reason. The real world, unfortunately, is just not that straightforward, right? The real world is complicated. And there are, um, there are subjective variables. And there are, there's, uh, there's an analog signal out there. It's not digital. It's not always yes or no. Sometimes there's a color that's between black and white. It's gray. And that's, that's discomforting to me. I don't like uncertainty. I don't like what it feels like to not know what's going on. Do you? Isn't it scary? I mean, a year ago, we did not know what was going on. We still don't. But anyway, you know, back then it was even scary. We didn't know what was going on. I remember um, we felt guilty sneaking a, a rendezvous in a parking lot where we all stayed in our cars and talked through the windows half rolled up. And that was a family get-together, you know, because we're, it, we didn't know. But it's, it's discomforting. And if there's some way I can explain, oh, what's really going on is this, this, and this, oh, and then it, 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 it just provides, a, a, like a, it's like mashed potatoes, right? It's like comfort food to my soul. I don't have to try to figure it out, and I can just decide what to do based on a, a simpler model. You follow what I'm saying? If, if I can make the world simple with a particular conspiracy theory, then my life is less stressful. But if it's really a, a hodgepodge of variables, and it's not a single cause, then life gets a lot more complicated and it feels more anxious, right? So I'm, I'm confessing here that one of the reasons I pursue an explanation is just to know what to do next. I feel this especially with parenting sometimes. I try so hard to figure out what's going on in the life of my child to help them understand what to do. And it's more complicated than that sometimes. And it's super, it's super stressful, isn't it? It's super anxious. So that's one of the reasons I think I pursue a simplified answer. The other reason is that sometimes a conspiracy is actually the right answer. Sometimes it's true. Did you know there was a conspiracy once where King David actually worked it out that the husband of the woman he slept with, who's now pregnant with his baby, he worked it out that he, she that he would get killed in battle. And he sent secret letters and the general was in on it. And so there was people in power and people at the top who did an evil thing and it, was a, it literally was a conspiracy to kill Uriah to get Bathsheba to be his wife. God called him out on it, right? But there was people who knew and there was people... So sometimes it's true, there are evil forces in the world and sometimes they, the world does, they, Rome, uh, Psalm 2, the nations, why do the nations plot together? Why do they conspire against the Lord's anointed? So it's true that there are forces of evil, and Satan is trying to make things happen. And so that's part of the reason that, wow, this sort of sounds like it could be possible. And so 
the fact that there's an element of truth in the story or in the explanation, even though it's overly simplified maybe, it's still, it, the fact is that sometimes it does ring true, right? Here's a uh, quote from the article in the uh, Nine Marks page. Um, author and commentator Tom Nichols explains this in the book, The Death of Expertise. Conspiracy theories are a way for people to give context and meaning to events that frighten them. Without a coherent explanation for why terrible things happen to innocent people, they would have to accept such occurrences as nothing more than the random cruelty either of an uncaring universe or an incomprehensible deity. You get that, right? Stressors are out there, strange things happen, and I, I either have to find a solution or I have to admit that the universe doesn't care or that God is too hard to figure out. And so that's sometimes true, right? Do you, do you know there's another conspiracy? Job was a dirty, rotten sinner. That's why he suffered like that. And all of his friends were so persuaded that that was the case, that they, they were eloquent, they were wise, it was the majority opinion. They all had it figured out that Job was a bad guy. And that's the only way they could make sense of his suffering. And they even told him, you have to repent because it's the only way to make sense of your suffering. But they were all wrong because God was God and he can say suffering happens because I say so sometimes. It's the most fundamental first chronological book of the Bible. It's the most important fundamental starting point we have to get. Is so anyway, and then he goes on and highlighted, for many piecing together, for many piecing together threads to form a narrative of blame brings a measure of comfort, a place to locate our rage or find some kind of grand purpose, even if nefarious, for the brokenness of our world. So that's one of the ways of saying it, right? So there's, a, um, there's some other realities that contribute to this from this author. Um, the first one that he says is one of the reasons this happens more nowadays, it seems like, is the weakening of key institutions. In other words, we don't trust the church anymore because it's got so many corrupt leaders. We don't trust government anymore from Watergate on to anything else, right? The, the leaders have let us down. And so... Things that we used to trust, we don't anymore. Um, the other thing that contributes to the, making this whole thing harder is the, what this author says is the democratization of information, which is a fancy way of saying social media, right? The problem is everybody's an expert now. Everybody gets a voice now. It used to be that you actually kind of had to be vetted. You had to work your way up and demonstrate credibility and demonstrate expertise and demonstrate believability. You had to be trustable in order to get a voice and hold a microphone and make a speech. Now anybody can make a speech. Anybody even who's not mentally stable can make a speech. And, and, you, and it's anonymous. And so people can just pipe off and say whatever they want to say. And so the fact that technology has happened that allows us means that Twitter is a source of information that many people hold as credible. And so that's a, a, it's a reality that we face. Um, Senator Ben Sass laments the corrosive impact of this self-sort on our democracy. He says, in the process... We've obliterated the gatekeepers who helped to ensure that information was important and reliable. 
we've erased the distraction or the distinction, excuse me, between news and opinion. You sketch that? Now what we hear, what we see, the voices that come in our life are not even trying to make a clear distinction between this is what news is and this is what I think it means. We have interpretation all the time. Our news is always saturated with opinion now. And we're losing the habits that could help us make calm, considered decisions. When it comes to consuming news, we're miles wide and an inch deep. It's an interesting way to say it. So that's uh, the democratization of information. And then the third point, and this is especially true for Christians, I think, is we don't trust the media anymore. Or if we ever did, we probably shouldn't have. But I'm telling you, when I was a little kid and I heard Walter Cronkite, we knew he wasn't a gospel preacher, but we didn't think he was as bad or as, as uh, um, biased as we think now of the liberal media, for example, they're so strong in their anti-Christian message that it, you start to, you, you, um, it creates a, a reflex action. The, uh, the, if I don't trust that source and they have a record of distorting reality and defaming the name of Jesus and, and uh, promoting causes that are against the gospel, if that person says those things, they could tell me that two plus two equals four, and I would say, no, it doesn't, because you're the one saying so, right? We reject them because of their lack of trust in them. And the sad part is, is that there can arise, which has arisen, a, another media source that's opposed to that, which is just as driven by the finances of a clique, and just as prone to try to get people to listen to their message, and is just as likely to say things that the other side is going to say, no, it's not. Two plus two is not four because you said it. And so they just hate back and forth, back and forth. And so we're stuck in this mutually, I trust my media source, but not your media source. I trust my media source, but not your media source. And so if you're, if you're any kind of a, what I would consider a... Um, balanced person. <laughs> you don't trust anybody anymore, right? It's so frustrating that we can't, where, how do you actually get the truth anymore? So those realities exist, and all of those variables exacerbate this problem, make it worse. So it's part of what we're fighting with. The other thing that I think is part of the problem is we really, really, really want the conspiracy to be true partly because of, I said already the comfort that it brings, but partly because it confirms how nasty you are and I get to be justified in my awful and horrible treatment of you as my enemy. And so I want you to be guilty of the evil things that the conspiracy must say you are so that I can hate you justly. Hitler did this in Germany. I, I saw a documentary not long ago about how progressively over the years he, he hinted that the problem was caused by Jews. And then he escalated that and informed that. And, and so it, it got to where the German public pretty much were persuaded that the Jewish people were the cause of all their problems. And it got them to where they wanted it be true so much so that without pangs of conscience, they were able to cause 
and bring about the Holocaust. And they treated these people as less than human because they believed that they were less than human. And any data to the contrary was opposed because it contradicted what they wanted to be true because their conscience needed it to be true that they weren't people. They needed them to be animals so that they could assuage their consciences. And so this is part of the reason we want things to be true is it justifies us hating another human being. And we get invested in that. Look at this, this particular writer again. We not only are prone to believe the best or the worst about people about whom we want to believe the best or the worst, but we're prone to believing and elaborate and often dangerous ideas that are at odds with the truth. This wanting stories to be true is what makes it so difficult to convince someone that a theory they think is so right is actually not at all true. Nichols explains this. Conspiracy theories, by contrast, are frustratingly precisely because they are frustrating precisely because they are so intricate. Each rejoinder or contradiction only produces a more complicated theory. Conspiracy theorists manipulate all tangible evidence to fit their explanation. But worse, they will also point to the absence of evidence as even stronger confirmation. After all, what better sign of a really effective conspiracy is there than a complete lack of any trace that the conspiracy exists? <laughs> facts, the absence of facts, contradictory facts, everything is proof. Nothing can ever challenge the underlying belief. The fact that there's no effort to prove that the earth is round confirms my theory that it's flat because nobody ever even did a, tried to prove it to me. And so the absence of the opposite point of view is used to interpret as that kind of thing. This kind of confirmation bias is why you can't argue your uncle or neighbor or Facebook sparring partner out of his ideas. It's why you can't convince a Holocaust denier or a flat earther that they are wrong. Because in the cut and dried world of conspiracy, you are either with the conspirators as part of the cover-up or you're on the side of the angels who believe it. You see? I, I, if I try to, even as a loving brother, I say, are you sure that there was no Holocaust? The very fact that I would say so, by definition, because of the way the conspiracy theory works, proves that I'm part of the conspiracy because I would even cast doubt on your conspiracy. But... If I'll say, oh, you're right, that's just a bunch of hogwash made by politicians to give the Jews extra rights today and all these things, as soon as you go there, then I'm an angel, right? I'm a good guy. And so there's all kinds of social, social pressure to conform to the group's think on a particular issue. And this is why it divides the church, because we have pressure from one another. We even have leaders in spiritual leadership positions who put pressure on their congregations to interpret life a certain way or to follow a certain scheme or a certain theory. And to say no is to be anti-pastor or anti-church or anti-Jesus. And, and it all gets confused and gobbled up. And so again, I go back, is there anything we can do to tell our kids how to sort this out? Is it hopeless? Do we just got to sit back and throw up our hands? So one of the reasons it's a problem is we want the conspiracies to be true. And then again, what we just read, rumors self-authenticate by definition, right? Did you hear the rumor? 
that the earth is flat. No, that's not true. Oh, see, you've been deceived too, haven't you? It self-authenticates. And no matter how you fight it, it just self it's it's a, it's, a, it's a sneaky that's a sneaky system. All right. I want to just say here too that I think there's some key root sins involved here. I have a number of them. First of all, we need to admit that when we spread or propagate things that are half true, that's the same as lying. That's lying. So if I said something about you that's partly true, but in a way that's uh, not fully true, I'm lying about you. If I spread lies about you that are not true, I'm slandering you. That's the sin of slander. The Bible has no truck for that. That's totally forbidden. You're never supposed to slander somebody, believer or not believer. And so you're not allowed to slander another person. That's a sin. So whether or not the earth is flat, as our test example, right, that if it's not true, I'm lying. And if I say something about you that you're crazy because you believe it, then I'm slandering you. And that's a sin. So both of those are sins. The other thing is that myths themselves, by definition, are, are by the scriptures, are a distraction from the gospel. Paul says, I urged you, Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain persons not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Especially Judaism had a lot of myths about how the Ten Commandments came and other things that are clearly not true. They're not in the Bible. And so people would get caught up in those kinds of things. And Paul told Timothy, don't do that because it distracts from your ministry. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So, for example, flat earth, except by way of illustration, how many times should we preach about flat earth at church? Like zero, because it has nothing to do with what's going on here. It doesn't promote God's work. It just produces controversy. So we need to be careful to, to recognize that some things are not in the bounds of what a church is supposed to do and what a church is supposed to talk about. So that's one of the sins. It's a, it's a distraction. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So stay out of the, the nonsense. So myths are a distraction from the gospel. The next sin is that pride. A big part of why a conspiracy theory gains strength is a Gnostic view. Now, Gnosticism is the, that the word Gnostic or is based on the Greek word for knowledge. And it's the, basically the idea that you can be an average Christian or an average person, but if you know this, if you can go to another level of knowledge, then you get a little more understanding and you get a little more power. And so, you see, you're silly down here, but I have arrived. Paul would say, knowledge puffs up, right? Knowledge makes me think I'm really hot stuff. And in Gnosticism, there's actually a, a tiered system. It's a, what's the religious system that Tom Cruise was in? 
Scientology, that's a big, that's when you, you pay for the levels, right? You give more money, then you get another layer of secret. And are you a blue star or a gold star or a five-star general or whatever? You, you work your way up the hierarchy of that whole thing. And it's, it's the whole, it works because it makes you proud. It makes you think you're better than our people. So part of the reason for the power of a conspiracy theory is how proud I am that I know and you don't. I get this figure. Why? What is wrong with those people? They're so stupid. They don't, can't they see the plain truth that the earth is flat? And so they argue and argue and they're proud in their heart. So there's a sin of pride. There's also a sin of pride in the sense of you're wise in your own eyes. The Proverbs say that a, a person who's wise in his own eyes is, is, is more arrogant. A sluggard is more arrogant than seven people who, who answer discreetly. So a person who's wise in their own eyes is so smart that you could have seven wise people, known wise people, experts, if you want to call them, and say, they're all, they're all cracked. Because I know. You see, if you're so confident, if I'm so confident that my answer to the question is the right answer, if I'm so sure that I'm the one who has it and you can't, that's a prideful position to take. Now, it might be true that I'm right and you're wrong, but if I have it with pride, that's not right, and that would be a sin. And for me to not be certain and still assert that I'm right and you're wrong is especially a problem. All right, another thing, we, the sin behind it, as we already talked about, it's comfort, control, and power, right? It makes me feel safe. It gives me control over the situation. It might even grant me power. All right, here's a, another sin. If we teach or perpetuate a false view of reality, we can influence an immature person to act even farther on that theory, right? So we can be a snare to someone else. We might think that flat earth is not a big deal, but that could motivate an unstable person or an immature person to go down to the library and light on fire all of the books that say the world is round, right? You see what I'm saying? We, we have to be careful of the influence we have on people who are around us. The other thing is that when we spread lies about other people, we're destroying their reputations and lives. Has anyone heard of cancel culture, that terminology that's going on, right? If you don't say the right thing, whatever, you get canceled and you can lose your life, your job, your well, maybe not get murdered, but you can lose your job and your living and your, your social structures. Um, examples there are. The other thing is that this whole thing can justify cruelty for the sake of the cause. If you or I believe that it's a life or death situation about this particular theory, then if it really were life and death and your position is really right, then you kind of are obligated to uh, go to the mattresses and fight for it and hurt people, right? And so you can actually be cruel and in your mind justify the ends, justify the means. The fact that I can hurt you along the way, it doesn't change the wisdom of God, right? Another sin is that if we make our decisions based on certain people and don't get a breadth of counselors, what, what does the proverb say? Uh, and wisdom comes in a multitude of counselors. You need to ask a lot of different people. Is this the thing that we should do? Is this the way we should go? And there's wisdom that comes from a host of counselors. And ultimately, it's sort of a failure to trust God. 
right? I want to be in control. I want to understand what's going on, and it's a failure to trust God. And sadly, it can end with the mockery of Jesus' name, right? That's another sin that can be involved here, is that we would, we would do something in the name of Jesus, and the other people in the world would say, what a bunch of crazy people. How cruel can they be? They really think that their political end is worth that? They would do wrong to do right? How hypocritical is that? Because of the hypocrisy, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. So I took longer to do the introduction than I thought, but this is the part where I wanted your help, and, we'll, and I think I'd like to continue this next week. So what I want you to do is roll up your sleeves and help me here, and we're going to first, I got three questions I want to ask, so let me just give those all three up so we know. My first question is, what rumors, conspiracy theories, what are some examples in the Bible that we can use to learn from? Because I really want to teach my children how to discern the truth. The second one is, what wisdom applies? What, what uh, practical guidelines from wisdom can you apply to help you discern whether or not something is true or not? And then what should we do as believers with or in response to specific things like that? Okay. So my first question is, what, what are some rumors or conspiracies in the Bible that you can think of already? And uh, Phil, would you be my... Um, my sound man and, and go to people if they have it. So you can go first. So. Um, well, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Rachel and uh, uh, assisting Jacob in getting the birthright from Esau. That's a good one. So Jacob steals the birthright, right? Or the, and, he, and, he's, and, and the blessing from his father by pretending to be his brother. Yeah, John? The earliest one and still active is Satan in the garden. <laughs> what was his conspiracy? Did God really say? Yeah, questioning God's word. Yeah. God's got something against you and he doesn't want what's best for you and he's gonna hold out on you. Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he was yeah, stolen. That, what was that? I didn't. The body was yeah, so, so the Jesus and the resurrection, there's a couple of uh, specific conspiracies, right? One is that the, the disciples stole the body, right? They were even paid to do that, to say that story, stole the body. The Israelites sent spies ahead of them into the promised land, and some of the spies said there are giants in the land. Okay, so Israel's spies in uh, the promised land. I'm going to take a picture of this so I can print it out later. But um, the conspiracy was is they didn't trust God's revelation that they could get through. And so they viewed all of the same data as Joshua and Caleb did and can came to completely different conclusions about it. Yeah. Someone else have one to share with us? What are some other conspiracies in the Bible? Just to help us discern... No one else? 
uh, I was just thinking that there were those that were questioning Paul's uh, qualifications to be an apostle. Oh, yeah. And trying to tear him down. That's a, that's a big one because they, they said he's in, in person he's powerful, but his speech isn't so great, you know, and in his writing he's good. And so they really distorted him. And look at how they, they spread, they, they lied about him and they um, slandered him and put him on the defensive. And yeah, it was bad. Kate? Uh, when Jesus said he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, and uh, they took it literally that he was going to destroy the temple. Yeah, um, they they even said that uh, he he was yeah that was that was actually the only charge that was repeated at his at his um, trial was that they got the paid witnesses to say those things. Joe. Yeah. Cast out Satan with Satan, which was a conspiracy theory to get rid of the message and truth in the ministry of Jesus, right? Trying to tell everybody a lie about Jesus. Oh, that makes sense. That's a simple, look at all, all the characteristics, right? It's a simplified explanation that relieves you of your anxiety. You want it to be true so bad because if it isn't true, Mr. Pharisee, what is your implications? God's kingdom has come, and you have to yield to this person. I don't want to yield to him, so I'm going to make up stories about him. Good. Um, in the New Testament, the Judaizers telling the Christians they have to be circumcised. Right. Yeah, that the um, the Judaizers that led to the um, Acts 15 council, but the uh, the whole idea was that yeah, Jesus is great. But you, uh, you have to observe the law in your body in order to be fully righteous, and so it distorted the gospel. Yeah. Other examples? Um, an actual rumor was when um, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph. There and you go. Just all of the fallout of that. Yeah. And Joseph went to jail because somebody lied about him. Uh, Leo's got one. You're doing so good, Phil. Um, maybe when that Paul was a god when he was bit by the snake and didn't die? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of times that they thought that Paul was pretty special that way. They try to explain their experience, what they saw, um, through their own view instead of seeing that there was a bigger story going on. Yeah. Paul did not die from snake. There was a conspiracy to take, uh, to take out Jeremiah. Yeah. And then also in, there's a verse in Jeremiah where God says, don't call everything a conspiracy that they call conspiracies. So there must have been some conspiracy belief that God was saying it's not all, it, it's not all true. They're not all true. But there was at least one true one to get rid of Jeremiah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting... I remember you teaching on that. that. That's an interesting thing is that part of that culture was in the crisis of the impending uh, judgment from God, as things amped up structurally and politically, there was an increase of conspiracies. And I found a, 
to other passages, in, one in Ezekiel, another late in um, Jeremiah 51, where, um, where there's a lot of conspiracies toward the end before God judges. So this is a characteristic. Yes. Um, Haman yeah. and everything in Esther. Yeah, that was a pretty anti-Semitic uh, a conspiracy. And Haman had the whole thing plotted out and God turned it around that he hung on his own. Um, when the um, Egyptians were getting rid of the baby boys, be too, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking that's more of a, of a conspiracy than a rumor. But That was a, certainly an evil act. Right. They I guess were, I'm thinking conspiracy. Yeah. They were doing it to, to diminish the strength of the Israeli people by getting rid of their boys. After the resurrection, the Roman guards were instructed, um, or told, the guard went to the city, told the chief priests what had happened, and the elders and the chief priests gave them money and said, tell the people the disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. So they denied the resurrection. Yeah. And then another one is, it's not necessarily in the Bible itself, but the, the Muslim faith um, would affirm that Jesus was a great prophet. But they say that his body was, ta- or his, his body essentially, or his person was taken and was not actually crucified on the cross. So they perpetuate a rumor or conspiracy, a lie that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Yeah, there's a number of alternate theories for the, cons- for the resurrection. The swoon theory, that he never died in the first place. Um, Katie's going to have to smack you later, Joel, because um, uh, I can't think of your name all of a sudden. You're married to Steve. Marge. Marge had that one already. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't? Who was the one that said? I thought, Leah did. See, I, no wonder I couldn't remember March because it was supposed to be Leah. Sorry, I knew it was somebody over here, and so I was trying to... Um, and Eric's got another one. I think if we go by the definitional kind of legal term, what Judas did was conspiratorial, where he went out to the opposing side did all of his secret stuff. I, I really think that um, if you were like watching a true crime show, it would be like, okay, this is someone who uh, tempted conspiracy. Yeah, they conspired against Jesus and he was part of it and they paid him money. And so there was, So in some cases, that's a case where the conspiracy, like the conspiracy to kill Uriah, was a real conspiracy, not just an imaginary one or a, a false one, right? So, so that's the point is some of these are true, like, and some of them are not, right? Some are, some are made up in order to influence people. I got Leah here. Oh, that Moses had died on Sinai, so they needed to build the golden calf. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The whole the whole golden calf incident, because they thought Moses wasn't coming back down. So they explained their life to relieve the tension of waiting and waiting, and so they tried to find a simpler solution. So that's a good one, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. And that was an economically motivated attack on Paul, and it twisted his message, right? He's trying to 
ruin uh, our good trade. Although in, indirectly, I guess Paul's message of the gospel would kind of ruin the idolatry trade. But does anyone else? So, <clears throat> the point is, is there's a lot of them in the Bible, and uh, it's ultimately ought not be surprising to us that there are people who are deceivers and that they like to go around deceiving. Any, uh, thanks, Phil. Any other final questions or thoughts? I, uh, the next question is interesting to me, and I guess I'd like you to think about it this week, and the Lord willing, next week we'll spend more time in the conversation. But what wisdom applies? What advice, what from the Bible could you say? All right, John, before you click to share this one, Run it through, what would you say? What would you give as advice to give us counsel about dealing with rumors, conspiracies, and such things, all right? Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time together. May it be pleasing to you. We really do want to understand your person and your will, not win some arguments. And so just help us stay focused, help us to remember the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us, that you, you endured false statements about you. You endured the conspiracy of Judas and, and how the, the Jews plotted together with Pilate to produce your crucifixion. You did all that, but God, you were working it out according to your plan. No, no act of man, no conspiracy of man can thwart your purposes, and your purposes were to have Jesus die on the cross to pay for our sins. And so we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You, you are dismissed. <clears throat>